Is that on? Is that on? Good morning. Can you hear me okay? Maybe we should ask Steve to come back up. Do the bit about the impressions, the humour. Well, either I'm a lot fatter than I first thought I was, or lecterns are really narrow these days. <laughs> How are you all? I'm told there's people up in the balcony. You couldn't afford an expensive seat. It's nice to see you up there. I'm told there's people in the cafe. You never had your breakfast, so you're discreetly trying to say amen. And of course, there's all of you that came really early to get a back seat down here at the front as well. It's lovely to be with you. And I've never been invited to preach in Edinburgh before. In fact, I don't think anybody from Edinburgh has ever invited me to do anything before. <laughs> now, I know we have our stigmas about our cities. You think we're all lunatic alcoholics. Which isn't true, it's just the men. And we think you're all stingy. Now, I don't believe that, but just in case, I actually brought my own thank you card today. So Lois will pass that round and you can sign it and say thanks for the message before you've heard it in case you don't like it and then you're put in a dilemma when you've heard it. You're in a series, of course, today called Overcoming Guilt and Regret. I guess when Graham and the team were putting together this series, they thought, who do we know that's most likely to have the most regrets and the most guilt about their past? Let's invite him to speak. Andrew Owen wasn't available, so they invited me. I guess that's what's happened. You'd need to ask them. But you're in this series called Right Life is a Roller Coaster. And I thought what I'd do, because it's the first time I have ever been here, and potentially the last time, <laughs> as we go through the psalm that we'll look at today, I thought what we would do is just mix it a bit with some personal testimony and a bit of brutal honesty. And so this message carries a 12A certificate if you're in Glasgow, which probably makes it an 18 in Edinburgh. But we'll look together at Psalm 32. While you're looking that up, or pretending to look it up in your phone, but you're really on your WhatsApp. <laughs> Great heights and Glaswegians don't go. You know, the first thing I see is a challenge. Bet you can't jump. Bet you I can. So maybe at the end. Do we put the baptism tank there on Easter Sunday and we all just kind of go? In all seriousness for a few moments. In describing this series, Life as a Roller Coaster, I'm beginning to pray about it. I'm beginning to ask God for something helpful to say to you guys today. In my mind, I saw a picture. You know that God very often gives you pictures. He gives you words. He gives you encouragements. He gives you other spiritual gifts. But very often, he'll give you pictures to help illustrate in a way that you can decipher 
what God is trying to say. And I was thinking about this concept of life being a roller coaster, and the truth is, the way that culture is built today, when we talk about a roller coaster of life, we automatically begin to put our mind on the downward spiral, don't we? If we're being honest about life, we focus sometimes too much on the negative, and the positive is often viewed as very short minutes, brief points in time, and the rest of life is just a series of lows, but not too low, hopefully not too low, hopefully not too low. But a roller coaster begins with great excitement. You start to climb. You begin to anticipate the height that you're going to is for a thrill in a few seconds. As you climb the roller coaster, if you've ever been to a theme park, you start to see things from a whole different perspective. You've never seen it from that height, from that angle, or from that view before. It's different. And then, of course, just as the low comes down, there's a twist in the story, isn't there? And then just when you think that life is starting to go forwards, it goes backwards. And there's no rhyme or reason to it unless you're familiar with it. But when life is a roller coaster, the end result of a roller coaster life, unless it's really not your thing, is can I do it again? Strap me in for another go. Because although it's frightening at times, although it's unexpected at times, although it's scary at times and you can find your stomach and your mouth at times, the thrill of being alive is really what we're all looking for, isn't it? Doesn't Jesus say, I have come that they might have life and life in all its fullness? Life in all its fullness. <laughs> he didn't mean life in all its fullness. We'll have prayer meetings and jumble sales. And we'll have coffee mornings. Come on, let's really have a roller coaster ride of life. <laughs> it's not blasphemy to say that God wants you to have a great time while you're on this planet so that you're not the stick in the mud at the eternal party to end all parties when you get there. Yes, but you don't know my trouble. <laughs> my hip plays up. Listen. This life is a vapor. It's a blink and then we're into eternity and your hips will be like Elvis' hips again. <laughs> your aches and pains will be gone. The Bible teaches us to pray, come your kingdom, be done your will on earth as it is in heaven. And while we don't make light of true problems and situations that people face, the truth is in a blink it will all be over and you will be well. And all will be well for you. So I saw this picture. Have you noticed that Glaswegians tend to go off topic? Like, <laughs> even before they're on topic, they're off topic. I'm looking at my notes going, what is it I'm actually preaching about today? <laughs> oh, I overcoming guilt and regret. Well, that's a, it's a really hard subject, that one. Um, oh, it says, just try your hardest, amen, the seas like Is there interpretation for English-speaking people in the house today? <laughs> I saw this picture. It's a picture I've actually seen before a number of years back. And the best way probably to describe it is, if you're in business, you might have a briefcase. 
If you're a cyclist, you might have a bicycle. And for both those things, you would have a combination lock. Maybe you've got a safe in your house because you've got some valuables. Don't tell a Glaswegian if you've got any valuables. <laughs> but that safe or that bicycle lock or that briefcase will have a combination lock on it. You know the four numbers? Isn't it interesting when you get your pin from the bank, they give you a new pin because you've lost your card or whatever, you convince yourself, I'll never remember that. Then before you know it, you're in the swing of it, aren't you? And this is the picture I've seen, that the truth is, life will send you some doubt. Life will send you some anger. Life will send you some guilt. And there'll even be some regrets. And while it's my job today to help you with this particular topic, if we take life in the context of a roller coaster, there are some things that Christians are simply called to do in life that if they do them, they'll navigate the roller coaster pretty well. Here's the frustration with a combination lock. If it's got four numbers and you get three of them right, it won't open. If you have six numbers and you get five of them right, it just won't lock. It won't click. Now, life throws us negotiations like you're doing most things right, doesn't it? You're getting the big things right, aren't you? There's a few small things you need to work on. But if life is a combination lock, and the Christian walk is a combination lock, to get everything lined up takes daily discipline. There's no easy road for a Christian. Have you noticed? I don't suppose life as a Christian in this city is any easier than it is in my city, is it? You have moral dilemmas to navigate. You have life choices to consider. You have pressures to face. You have decisions to make. You have relationships to negotiate. But on this combination lock, I saw these words, prayer, the word, giving, serving, fellowshipping, and sharing your faith. And a Christian will very often get five or six of them or four or six of them, or three or six of them moving, and their life improves some way. But for the life in all its fullness to really click in for us as believers, we notice that Jesus did all six all of the time. And if you're a new Christian today, or struggling your faith, that can be even intimidating and daunting in itself, because you're thinking prayer get into the word, serving, giving, sharing my faith, fellowshipping, all of that requires me coming out of my comfort zone in some way. But do you remember when you learned to drive? When you learned to drive, if you have learned to drive, perhaps you live in Edinburgh and you're thinking there's no point learning to drive because there are roads but no places to stop in Edinburgh. <laughs> aren't there? It's like we've been driving around this building since quarter past seven on Friday night, praying for people's cars to be driven away so that we can slot into that place. And we've just lived in our car for two days, but we got parked in Edinburgh. I tweeted it and Facebooked it. I WhatsApped it. I Pinterested it. Got a parking place in Edinburgh. Preachers all over the world don't believe me. 
But when you first started to drive, they said, OK, if you'd like to, first of all, walk around the car, take a look at everything as it should be, the tyres are pumped up and so on, everything's in its place. Then if you'd like to get into the car and begin to adjust your seat, and if there's any driving instructors in the room, I know this is not the correct order, please make sure that the seat is adjusted in such a way that it suits your height, your weight, your stance, your leg position from the pedals and so on. Now, once you've got your seat in the position, you may have to adjust your mirrors so that your mirrors now reflect the stance that you're now taking in the seat that you're now sat in. Now, once you've got your mirrors adjusted, please remember to put your safety belt on. Once you've got your safety belt on, you might want to put the key in the ignition and begin the manoeuvres. And you're thinking, how on earth will I ever remember all of that? I can remember my first driving lesson. He said all of that, and then I went, okay, so sit down then, what? <laughs> then I would like you to adjust your mirrors. Then I would like you to put your seatbelt on. Then I would like you to put the key. Okay, I've sat down. Mirrors. What was after that? Two hours, 19 pounds an hour. And I learned how to sit. I already knew how to do that. And I learned how to look in a mirror, look at my face. You wouldn't want to do that. <laughs> but now, because it's consistent and regular, it's daily, really. These things just flow automatically, don't they? You just get in your car, you throw the kids in the back, you arrive at church, you have no memory of how you got here. All you can see if it's a Glasgow breakfast, a Glasgow Sunday breakfast, is an empty bottle of iron brew, a packet of watsits, you know, that you've fed the kids well. That's cheese, that's dairy. That's all you can remember. It's happening naturally. So although I'm telling you today my experience, this is how you overcome guilt and regret in your life from the book of Psalms, Psalm 32. The truth is, if you learn to navigate the ways that Jesus lived in your daily life and just practice it and grow in your confidence in it, and if I could use this phrase without it sounding blasphemous, get better at it, when the roller coaster goes up and down, you will only really notice the serious dips. You know, once you've ridden the big roller coaster, the small roller coasters seem like a waste of time, don't they? Once you've had a serious hurdle in your life, the ups and downs of life don't seem so up and so down because you've really experienced something. Please forgive me for being so explicit, but if, for example, you have experienced a bereavement, then you know what it's like for life to be a roller coaster. So when you then experience the threat of redundancy in your workplace, it's nothing like the dip that you've experienced, is it? But if the question of your work contract being renewed is the most serious thing in your life, then that can feel like it's the high and the low and the high and the low. It's all relative to your experience. The beautiful thing about God is his will for your life includes experience that are well-rounded. It's not all a struggle. It's not all hard going. It's not all difficult. You're probably more hard on yourself than you realize. And that's what I'll talk about today from Psalms 32. So nudge your neighbor and say, get ready to give yourself a break. If you don't have a neighbor, ask yourself this question, why does no one want to sit with you in church? 
Psalm 32. You ready? How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away. That is not a legitimate diet plan. (laughs) Through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. Scylla. I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. You forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be as the horse or as the mule, which has no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle, to hold them in check, otherwise they will not come near to you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked. But he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. Shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. The Psalms do for our relationship with God what the book of Proverbs does for our relationship with each other. The Psalms teach us how to connect with God, how to be honest with God. The book of Proverbs teaches us how to relate and have wisdom in life and in our relationships with each other. Two extraordinary books. And in the Psalms, you will find all the ways that you would want to articulate the roller coaster of life already expressed adequately for you. Did you know that on the cross, for example, several of the sayings that Jesus said from the cross were quotes from the book of Psalms? Have you ever been in that position where you just don't feel you have the words? You just don't know how to express what it is you feel or even begin to articulate in your thoughts what it is you're going through? You ever been there? Turn to the Psalms. The Psalms will express it for you in ways you could ever express it yourself. And in my early days as a Christian, I was taught, lead a Psalm, read a proverb every day. What I discovered was I was really being told, learn how to relate to God and learn how to relate to people every day. And as I read those Psalms for the first time, I was brought up in the north of Glasgow, quite a working class to poor area. We were never really taught to express our feelings. We never had family meetings. We never sat around the table for dinner. We were never really taught or mentored. We got older rather than raised. Life was hard. Parents had to go on with paying the bills or not. And so we just had to learn that you speak the way that they speak. What's wrong with you? Nothing. How are you? Not bad. (laughs) What are you up to later? Not a lot. You got any plans for the summer? No. (laughs) I remember 
as a young teenager, I was taken on stage at a hypnotist show in Glasgow. I did tell you this message carried a certificate, didn't it? And I went up on the stage and the guy said, tell everybody your name, young man. And of course, I knew my name. I'd learned that at school. I could tell him that. I said, Craig Denham. He said, tell everybody how old you are, son. You had to be 17 to get into this show. So I said, 17. I was about 14 or 15. And then he said, and tell everybody what you hope to achieve with your life. And I went, He said, I haven't hypnotized you yet. You can answer. <laughs> what would I do with my life? What can I question? Ask me what team I support. <laughs> no answer. And it was the first time it struck me that life wasn't about just a day-to-day existence. You could, people had plans. People had aspirations. People had ambitions. I had no idea any of those things existed for ordinary, everyday people. And when I read the Psalms, I discovered that as well as helping us articulate, they help us shape our world as well. They help us deal with things that without God would hinder us. They help us handle seasons of life that without God would possibly cause us to fall down and struggle. Over the years, I've had a couple of my friends give up on life. It's very sad when that happens. You think to yourself, if they only had God, if they only had Jesus, if they could only turn to the Word and the Word could become their words, because the truth is, even in the church, our view of the Word can be tempered by our experiences in life. But what God wants for us and what Jesus wants for us is our experiences in life are affected by our view of the word. And the truth is for me, I said I'd give you some personal testimony. My personal testimony is verse 1 and verse 2 of this psalm. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Over the years as a believer, I've learned that the devil wants to slow you down, usually just at points where God is stepping up into something through you. That distraction never comes at the convenient moment, doesn't it? You never look at your diary and say, oh, I've got a few hours free on Thursday. I think I'll have a crisis on Thursday. It always happens on Friday when you're wall-to-wall in meetings, doesn't it? Today I'm going to show you, with respect, how, like me, you can be quick to deal with sin and quick to deal with guilt. And just because I am from Glasgow, and just because we like to spill the beans early, I'll just tell you the end of the message just now, and then you can go to sleep and I'll wake you up when I'm doing the appeal, right? Here's the end of the message. You do not have to suffer or endure areas of your life that you feel pressured to learn to tolerate, but actually the cross was designed to obliterate. If I can just cut to the chase for a few moments, Jesus Christ has blotted out all your transgression. He's pardoned all your iniquity. 
He's cleansed you of all unrighteousness. He's forgiven all your sin. He's washed you clean with the blood of Jesus Christ. He's granted you right standing before him. He's made you who were once an enemy a friend. And he's made you who were once distance close. God's plan for your life is that you know him. Do you know him? But there is not one record in heaven of a believer's flaws. There is not an archive. God doesn't have a cloud. That's a reference to technology to show you how down I am with the kids. God doesn't have a floppy disk, Graham. With your sins on it, where he says, yes, you are forgiven. Let's just have a word. Can you imagine me arriving in heaven expecting God to talk about my sins? I would just say, the next train's for hell. I'll catch the next train. (laughs) I'll catch the next train. But that's where I am today. It's not where I used to be. The first five years I was a born-again Christian were the worst five years of my life. Sorry to put your visitors off responding. I think the lack of discipleship, I lived in a small town by this point, played a part. I think my own personal rebellion and poor, poor choices played a part. But the first five years I was a Christian, I was bombarded with shame, regret, guilt, anxiety and remorse about all of the things I'd done. You know, sometimes they say when you have a near-death experience, your life will flash before your eyes. I had five years of dreaming about it, thinking about it. It stuck in my head like a record, a CD, an MP3 on repeat. Over and over. And here was the problem, ladies and gentlemen of Edinburgh. All of these accounts were true. I was not just woven into the story in my imagination. I did some pretty awful things to some pretty nice people. And so, my first experience was verse 3 and 4. It's hard to believe now, but my body wasted away. It's hard to believe now, but my vitality drained away. Sometimes, when we visit my mother, she shows Lois old pictures of me. And what my mother thinks is fun, my wife thinks is tragic. We've been married 17 years this year. Is that correct? Praise the Lord. (laughs) Again. (laughs) Don't gamble on that figure, guys. That was careless. It turned out okay for me. I can't say the same for you. But my wife will say, when I look at those old photographs of you, yes, you're a bit slimmer the look of Jason Donovan about you in his early days. Blonde quiff. Grolsch bottle tops on my shoes. Doc Martin's shoes, of course. Not mine, somebody else's, but he fell asleep and I was still awake. That's life. (laughs) But she'll say, when I look at those photos of you, although you're smiling, there's no life behind your eyes. You look like a desperate person. And you know, it was interesting. I'd never noticed it until she pointed it out. My vitality 
was gone. It had drained away. When I came to know Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior, I weighed nine stone two pounds. I was the same height as I am today. Same size of feet. The same frame with that much weight because life had caused my body to waste away. Poor choices, poor experiences, guilt and shame. In Psalm 6, it expresses it another way. You might call it depression. You might call it guilt. Psalm 6, verse 6 and 7 says, I'm weary with sighing. Every night I make my bed swim. I dissolve my couch with tears. My eye has wasted away with grief. It's not a preaching exaggeration to say to you folks, for five years, almost every night, I cried myself to sleep. The devil, demons, the flesh, the world, whoever, seemed to love to remind me that I was shameful. And I believed that. That I was worthless. And I believed it. And I became the sort of Christian who wanted to try really hard to get God's approval, never knowing that 2,000 years ago that approval was assured. Never knew. I tried hard not to make mistakes again, only to repeat them again. You ever done that? This is the last time you will catch me out that way. What happens? Try it in January. January the 1st, I'm going on a diet. (laughs) Along comes the devil, doesn't he? How is it when you're on a diet, you can smell aromas that you're nowhere near? (laughs) You can be on a flight to Hong Kong, and you're on that flight determined to diet, and you, can you smell a subway? (laughs) How does he do that? We know trying to fix the problem usually only results in the problem becoming much worse. But I guess what I hope to describe to you today is wherever you are at the moment, maybe you're in that mess, maybe you're coming out of that mess, it doesn't take years for God to repair what it took years to destroy. God can fix very quickly what we take a lifetime to damage. And the first point of three is we turn the corner towards wrapping this thing up today. Number one, there is true guilt and there is false guilt. You have to know the difference because anything Jesus died for that you still feel guilty for is false guilt. He became your guilt offering on the cross so that you could admit to the charges but not just be freed from the penalty of them, from the weight and responsibility of them as well. Life says, take responsibility for your own actions. The Bible says, give your life to God. Surely I'm still responsible for doing that. That's your last act of your will. Give your life to God. And that includes your will, your mind, your emotions, your heart, your aspirations, and your ambitions. And I promise you, if you give your life to God, any guilt that comes your way is illegitimate guilt. Because what God has chosen to forget, he will never remind you of. 
This is so important because all these stats and all these social studies show that guilt in a person can cause serious mental health problems, physical health problems. They can impinge on the community. They can impinge on their parenting. There's so many negative consequences to guilt. You can reach the point where you can say, I don't know if they say it in Edinburgh, but they certainly say it in Glasgow. You could perhaps help me finish it. Damned if I do and damned if I... You might say, as I used to say, well, I might as well be hung for a sheep as for a... Okay, that one doesn't transition so well, <laughs> does it? Don't let me say that one in Leith tonight. Right. Well, we can get to the point we feel we can't win, but we can win. How do you know the difference between true and false guilt? Only deal with the facts. What actually happened? The reason you must hear this caution soberly is if you believe a lie, that lie can become as powerful to you as a truth. Shouldn't I feel guilty about some things? Well, let me say this gently. Why would a woman who's bereaved because of a miscarriage need a double problem when she feels the guilt of it? Could I have done more? Should I have done things differently? Should I have eaten? Should I have rested? Should I have exercised? Should I have been less stressed? Should I stop work earlier? Life happens. Isn't that incident bad enough without the visitors of guilt and shame and uncertainty coming round the hospital bed to visit as well? Many of you are parents, of course. Maybe you're both working. There's guilt involved. Should I have stayed around a little longer? Did I go back to work too soon? If they get a gold star at school, hey, what we're doing seems to be working. If they get a punishment exercise, we are terrible parents. Why did we assume that we must buy into the guilt of things that might never actually have happened in that way? I'm going to tell you two stories of false guilt. When I was a teenager, I had sex out of wedlock, which resulted in a pregnancy. I was a young, wild drunkard. I had found something I was good at. I was wasting away, but I was living life fast and poor. Drunk most of the time, and I got this girl pregnant. Her and my mother were quite close, and as time transpired at emerged, she had a miscarriage. She told my mother, we had a fight. Started off as verbal, became physical. And as a result of the physical fight, I lost a child. Well, time passed and we began to go over this. And then I become a Christian and guess what starts replaying in my mind? I'm a murderer. Isn't it amazing in the privacy of your mind, things can amplify hugely? 
And so for five years as a Christian, and then for 20 less so, I would think about this moment and go, how do you get past that? Well, that lady, at one point in her journey, decided to move away for a fresh start. And her and my mother, who'd kept kind of in touch, had a coffee together. It was probably a vodka, but I'm in church, so I'll say coffee. (laughs) Don't tell them. And in the course of the conversation, the girl began to recount the events again and told a completely different story. For five years, I've used that reason as an excuse to punish myself and beat myself up and not move forward. Just one of several, but one particularly strong one. And my mother came to see me. And she said, do you remember we all fell out with you when this event happened? You know, the cold sweats, the pile, darkhead. My mother said, I've just met with her today. Son, it never happened. You had lots of verbal fights. You never laid a finger on her. And for five years, that lie had been as powerful as the truth. And for several years after that, that lie had been as powerful as the truth. What was it that dealt with the guilt? No one traveled back in time and changed the incident There was a second version, a true version. Ladies and gentlemen, I won't tell the second story for the sake of time and in a vain effort to try and get you not to come to Pete's Q&A, but to come to my message (laughs) and leave tonight where I'll tell you the second story. (laughs) That lie became as powerful as the truth. There is a version of your life that the circumstances are accurate, the dates and times may not be strictly true, the people involved may or may not have been present, but what does God's word say? It should not have taken a correction of the version of events for me to be freed from that moment. The Bible already says it's just as if I'd never done it. But we want to pay a penance, don't we? We want to pay a price. We feel like there should be something we should do. There is nothing you can do. It's been done. It's been done. There is true and false guilt. Second thing, be completely honest with God. That's what the Psalms show us. Now, having said all that, do accept responsibility. Don't deny you deserve punishment, but don't deny his forgiveness. And his freedom. Psalm 69 verse 5. God, it is you who knows my folly. My sins are not hidden from you. And then Romans chapter 4 verse 7 and 8. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sins the Lord will take not into account. Guilty as charged, but not taken into account. It can take as much adjustment to live with being acquitted as it does to be found guilty, you know. When someone's found guilty, they have to adjust to a life in a prison or some form of punishment. But when you're found not guilty, there's the same adjustment. I know 
Six out of ten of you in this room right now are, are hooked or have been hooked on making a murderer on Netflix. I know the topic of your conversation after this meeting will not be, did you think he was any good? He was all right. Did he help you? A wee bit. You're going to be saying, amen, so do you think he done it? Do you think he's guilty? I think he's not guilty? Did you stay up till four in the morning watching episode eight and nine last night? I stayed up till five in the morning watching episode nine. I won't tell you what happened because I'm now ahead of you. That makes me superior. In the box set, Binge League, I'm higher placed than you. There's guilt. There's false guilt. Be completely honest with God. Let me ask you a question. Would it make it easier for you if God helped you through a confidant? I spent five years telling God, Lord, Lord, I did do this. 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 And it helped to a degree, but when I joined what is now Destiny Church, they offered me a confidant. They called them pastors or counselors or small group leaders. This guy clearly lost the toss and got me for eight weeks in his office every Friday at two o'clock. And I would go in every Friday at two o'clock and say, you know what's wrong to work and claim benefits? It's very wrong, Craig, yes. Isn't that what pastors do? Hmm. I would say, well, I think I've worked for about seven years while claiming benefits uh, at the same time. What should I do? Oh. What should you do? I, just so you know, mister, I went to the benefits offices and told them. That's what I did. And the guy said, if we'd have caught you, you'd been in trouble. But nobody's ever admitted it before, so we don't have a policy for admissions. Off you go. That actually happened. There's a guy in Glasgow somewhere, and that's his after-dinner story. But I could tell this guy everything and I could hear God speak through him rather than just internally. It would come from his mouth into my ears and down into my spirit. Do you know that God has forgiven you for that, son? Do you know that you don't have to experience the guilt and shame of that anymore? Let's leave it here today. Within two years or shorter, I was working again. I was getting engaged. I had full access to my children. I had a house. I'd been in a homeless unit. It all turned around when I wasn't carrying the counterfeit burden of guilt. Even when it's about legitimate things, don't carry it. Be completely honest with God. Finally, state your intention. There is true and false guilt. Be completely honest with God. State your intention. Psalm 51. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. I was brought forth in iniquity and Sin and my mother conceived me. You desire truth in the innermost being. And in the hidden part you will make me know wisdom. Purify me with his and I shall be clean. 
Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. To conclude today, you have been purified with hyssop. Do you remember the story of the Exodus? Did you go and see the remake? They asked me to take the leading role. I'm far too busy working in the ministry. The Israelites are told, take the blood of a lamb and branch of hyssop and paint it round the lintels of your household and then the angel of death won't affect your home. Your firstborns will not be affected. Beautiful story of God's redemption. Several years later, many hundreds of years later, the Son of God, covered in blood, hung up like a lintel for all to see, humiliated, naked, sparsely clothed on or alone. The one who'd said, if anyone is thirsty, come to me. It's pinned like a lintel at a crossroads in the universe and speaks these words. I am thirsty. I am thirsty. And you can go in your gospels, ladies and gentlemen, and you can find this phrase in John 19, 29. A jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine upon a branch of hyssop. And they put it to his mouth. And hyssop touched blood for the second time in the history of the universe. What was happened? You were being purified. Hyssop comes together with blood and makes the most unacceptable acceptable. You were washed with that blood. Your heart is now clean. He will never leave you. Psalm 51 goes on to say, he promises you joy and delivers to your life a willing spirit. He was innocent of what you done, but you're now innocent because of what he done. If you've received it and trusted in him and you still feel guilt, the guilt you have is false guilt. Have you trusted him? Let's pray. Let's not make this a long prayer. You've sat so well. Much better than a Glasgow audience, but we don't give them these expensive seats. Let's pray. Have you trusted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, but you still find yourself wrestling with guilt? There's no need. Let the word do its work and go free today, will you? If you find yourself bound by painful memories of things done to you or things done through you, let it go. Let it go. Be released today. And if you need that confidant, find your pastor, your small group leader. Find a Christian friend. Don't carry guilt in your entourage one more day. Be free of that now.
Let it go. But if you're struggling with guilt because you're not at all sure of your salvation, you can't say, the blood has been applied to my life. You're not sure if you've been purified. You're not sure if you have a clean heart and a right spirit within you. Get right with God today. 25 years ago, 9.2 stone, I did it. I had five tough years, not one of them was a day where I regretted it. Don't you wait five years. You get it in 50 minutes. Today. Get right with God and know you're right with God and live for him and love him, serve him and enjoy him. Why wouldn't you? Can I ask you please, if you need to get right with God today, let me help you. I'm a guest. It's only polite to help a guest. Let me help you take that next step to peace with God, peace from your past and right standing with Jesus. I'll pray a simple prayer if anyone needs it. If you need it, then I'm asking you to do one thing. Raise your hand above your head, I'll do the rest. Go on. Put it up nice and high and say, for me today, enough is enough. I'm not in, then out, then in, then out. I'm not living this life of confusion and regret. I'm making my peace with God once and for all. Are you here? Let me see your hand up in the balcony or in the cafe. Down here, there's one lady responding. There must be others. The word always does its work. Where are you, friend? Who's thinking, does he mean me? I mean you. Who's thinking that appeal's not clear? Is it for believers or unbelievers? It's for you, sir. You, madam. Is there one more hand today? Father, we pray for those responding. We ask that your word would do its work. Lord, painful, legitimate memories need healed in this room today would you do it lives that are uncertain or inconsistent need to find a level of calm and deliberate living for you would you help them find it those riddled with guilt need washed with blood would you help them apply it those that are separated need to come home would you take their hand and guide them Father from this day would this congregation here in Edinburgh be bold and vibrant in its expression of the Christian life where it could be tempted to be weighed down with the heaviness of past regret. Set them free, Lord, in Jesus' name.